This is real and phenomenal quote from Duke coach David Cutliffe tonight. So this is talking about Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones embraces something we believe in here. Real swag is no swag. So basically you're saying the kid's boring in addition to being mediocre. So you get the benefit of not being interesting and being mediocre at football. But then you draft him number six. The New York football giants, everyone. Thank you and good night. Welcome to episode 14 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline. Brought to us this week by the hockey gods, who just like to watch the world burn. I'm Carlos Alcazar, and with me as always is Dave. I'm actually Eric Lindros now, Turnbull. So, yep, still concussed, but still happy to be here. And I think this is appropriate that you mentioned the hockey gods, since this is the first time that all the division winners were knocked out in the first round. Well, that's the thing. It's There were a lot of firsts in this uh, in this round one of the hockey playoff. So we're going to talk about a couple of things on the podcast. One of them is going to be, obviously, the aforementioned round one in the NHL playoffs and all of the chaos that ensued following the different teams. Obviously, we're already into round two a little bit. We've, we've gotten started on that. We're not going to redo our brackets because it was sad enough the first time. We will lament our various defeats. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about the 2019 NFL draft. There was a lot of uh, a lot of it ended up happening as expected. Nothing too crazy for a lot of it, but there were a couple of let's say questionable decisions made by certain NFL teams, possibly out of New York. You know, quick spoiler of where of where I'm heading on that. But we'll talk Not about that. Specific teams, but New York Giants. Yeah, there's a, some other picks as well that I want to talk about. We won't talk about all the picks, obviously, but there are a couple that stand out for me. And then, of course, you know, I will talk about my Packers and complain because that's kind of what we do. That's going to be a little bit about that at the end as far as the NFL draft is concerned. But first of all, uh, is there anything you wanted to talk about in relation to other general sports topics, Dave? Sure. Well, let's talk about Vladdy first, and then I have a pretentious cross-country running report. Okay. So, Vladdy Jr., Finally, got called up to the major leagues. No longer injured, no longer waiting for service time manipulation. And he's played two games at the recording of this podcast. You know, uh, I don't know if you saw the one. It wasn't an actual at bat, but in batting practice, that he actually broke a window in the dome. Did you hear that? I don't think it was a broken window. I think he bounced it off the glass. I don't know. No, he actually broke the window. It actually broke the window. Well, he's got a lot of power. That's that's. I don't think that's been in question. And yeah, and although we haven't necessarily seen that power yet in the games, I think it'll come. The one thing I also I, I found interesting is, so I was listening to Friday's game a little bit, and you know he was over, and then I look at the the score and saying, okay, now that's tied two two, and we're going to the bottom of the ninth. Okay, Vladdy's up, and I was like, this is setting up perfect for him to hit a walk off. Now he didn't hit a walk off; he hit a double, and then was. Uh, replaced by pinch runner but eventually there was a walk-off home run Brandon Drury so that was pretty exciting and it was nice to see that he had some part in that victory for the Jays in his first game for sure I did uh, actually catch that uh, the end of the game there I will say that it was a good piece of hitting on the double that he got the problem is so let, let me let me correct myself it's not the problem there isn't really a problem I find that this is one of those situations where Jays fans kind of play into their ignorance of baseball because there is ignorance of baseball in Toronto, and you can come at me as much as you want. I've been to enough. I've been to hundreds of games at the Dome. The pe- most of the people there have no wouldn't know a baseball to a beach ball. They enjoy watching the game, which is great. I the the enthusiasm is appreciated always, but it wasn't always there. I was there when there were plenty of empty seats, and right now there are still a number of empty seats. Don't kid yourself. 
But right now, we've got kind of, and Marcus Stroman was perfect in that he said the magic words that kind of played into this. Right now, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is kind of like their Zion Williamson. It's, it's their big hype machine on it. And here's the thing. There's a very real possibility that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can live up to a lot of that hype. But here's my point, and I don't want to throw, I don't want to seem like I'm throwing cold water onto Jays fans here right now, even though it's going to feel that way. He could very well have a Hall of Fame caliber career as long as he's in Toronto, unless something changes in the way this franchise is composed, the way this roster has been built, and the way they're, the moves they're making, it doesn't matter. It won't Un- make a difference. Unless they could play the Oakland A's every single game, in which case then they're World Series champions for sure. Sure. Great. So, you know, the thing is, he's going to be a contributor. He, he was went one for four in the first two games. He hit a double and he hit a single. The thing is, the second game is kind of indicative of my point. He went one for four. He swung at a couple of bad pitches. You know, he is he is his father's son. He will swing at pitches in and out of the strike zone. The plate discipline isn't necessary there, but his hand-eye coordination is is excellent, and his power is excellent. So, you know, he's going to get away with that to a certain degree as long as the hand-eye coordination holds up. But people forget his dad is not only in the Hall of Fame. His dad was one of the greatest bad ball hitters of all time. So he could get away with swinging at a lot of stuff that he had no business swinging at. His son well, probably you know, hit a home run with a ball that was bounced on the plate. Yeah. So the thing is, you can get away with that to a certain degree as long as your reflexes and your hand-eye coordination are great. But the second game was very indicative of the point. He had one for four. It was a single. He had almost no impact on the scoreboard. But they won 7-1. to one. It doesn't matter what the – baseball isn't like basketball. If you get a transcendent basketball player with a five players on the court on per team at a time, you can have a massive impact on the game. In baseball, you're one of nine hitters. You're one of nine fielders on the, on, the, on the thing. Unless you're the pitcher who can have a disproportionate impact but only has an impact once every five days or so, unless you're the pitcher, you're not going to necessarily change the game. Where, you, where they want you there is in those situations, the high leverage situation where maybe it's a close game or maybe you're in a position for a walk-off. And then you change how the other team has to play you because of your power, because of your hitting ability. But he's still a rookie. Like, they're throwing all this on him. It's like, he's not a savior. Calm down. The rest of the team isn't ready. The, the- yeah, and I think I think the hype machine will die down. I think he, you know, I still think he's got all the tools, and I hope that he will be a great player, if not an elite player. But once people realize that, you know, he's maybe not the second coming of his dad, or at least not yet, and, oh, wait, the team still isn't that great. You know, it's great that the the management can ride it for now and say, hey, we got Sky, we finally called him up. There's all this hype on that. They pulled him up at a homestand. You know, their the crowd size has increased at least a little bit. But I don't think that's going to last. And, you know, I think you got to just enjoy it for what it is, but also understand that this team is not very good. The pieces together on this team are not very good. And their record at the end of the year is not going to be that great. Well, that's the whole thing, though. the The problem that I had with it, basically, the bottom line that I'm that I'm outlining here is, even if he beca- even if out of the block this season, he matches his dad's first full season, which is a stretch. But I'm going to give, but I'm going to give you the stat line on Vladimir Guerrero Senior's first full season in the major leagues. This was actually his third season, but his first full season. Okay. How about this for a stat line? Thirty eight home runs, one hundred and nine RBIs, a three twenty four batting average. And he was 13th in MVP voting. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And how old was he, though? He was 23. Yeah. His son is right now 20. Yeah. So here's the thing. If he matches that kind of production by his age 22, 23 season, that's two or three years down the road. And that would still be great. 
Just so we're clear, that would be excellent. That's not a problem. But again, even if he does it this season, I don't care. It doesn't actually necessarily mean anything. It's, it's not going to have the same impact as a lot of other players because, as I said, there have been other great players in Blue Jay history. It's not just the, what the one player does. If the composition of the team is there, then you're good to go. Yeah. It's, and he also is somewhat of a defensive liability at third base as well. At and that's the whole thing. compared to who they've had previously. Yeah. And it's going to be a matter of seeing how the team how the team is able to build around but that's what that's why i'm saying that the i understand why the jays are doing it because they still need to sell tickets they still want to sell excitement and enthusiasm but it's like guys it's not the same as a lot of other sports where one player can have that immediate impact and it'll change things so i got a hypothetical for you carlos go ahead i know you love hypotheticals so when all is said and done the careers are both done which jays prospect who is the son of a former major league baseball hall of famer has the better career, Kevin Biggio, son of Craig Biggio, or Vladimir Guerrero Jr., son of Vladimir Guerrero Sr.? I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will have the will have the better career because of his offensive skill set. But my whole point is, I could snap my fingers right now and give you Vlad, and if he matches his dad's career, if he matches it, it's still not going to matter unless you fix the rest of the lineup. Oh, for sure. Like that's what I'm saying. Like peak Vladimir Guerrero Sr was one of the best players in the game for years. For years. He was an MVP. He did all those things. But again, just sticking with this franchise, just to be here in this franchise, peak Carlos Delgado at his best, in his prime, was as good as just about any other hitter, and it didn't matter. That's the whole thing. Like, And they had Roy Halladay for a chunk of that time. Like, Again, it didn't matter. It's not one or two guys. I'll read you one final stat line, and then we'll move on to another topic. Here's a stat line. This is an average stat line. This isn't one season, okay? Yep. 38 home runs, 120 RBIs, and a 292 batting average. Is that any good? That was great. That was for six. That was between 1998 and 2004. That was Carlos Delgado. That was six to seven seasons. That was his average per season. Average. Yeah. And that got the Jays nowhere. Correct. So the thing is, like, one great hitter or even two great hitters, excellent. It's going to be fun to watch. Like, don't get me wrong. It's... I keep trying. I feel feeling like I'm really being a downer here, but it's like it doesn't matter if you if you care about the winning part. Then this is a centerpiece to build around. The excitement is great, but you still need to. Let's put it this way: Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez are probably the best pitchers, and they're going to have to take a quantum leap. And I haven't seen that from Stroman. I don't know if we'll ever see it from Stroman. Sanchez has to stay healthy for that to matter. But then again, I'm still I still need three more guys in the rotation, and that's assuming those two guys get to where we'd like them to be. And Strowman isn't 22. He isn't 25. He's getting closer to 30. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't expect it to to go anywhere great in the near future. Uh, you know, if you want to watch more exciting winning baseball, go to Buffalo. But, you know, the Toronto crowd has also shown in previous history that, you know, they're not going to show up for a prolonged period of time for just to see one player. Like you said already, we had Carlos Sagato. We had Roy Halladay. And you were still getting, you know, crowds of under 20,000 a game. Yeah. The, the reality is they're only going to show up if the team's winning, if it's trendy, if it's a thing. But at the same time, let, let's be clear. In this market, I can tell you right now, this is this is not a baseball town. It has never been a baseball town. Just so we're clear, it never will be a baseball town. It is not. It isn't even a hockey town. It's a Toronto Maple Leaf town. And you know what? It's not a Raptors town, except when they're winning, except when they're trendy, except when it's working. They're, the, Toronto is actually sucks at sports. Just at sports. 
They're not good at supporting any of the teams unless they're winning, unless it's trendy, and unless it happens to be at the front page at the time. That's it. Or it's the Maple Leafs. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, no disrespect, but it's never been a good sports town. It never will be a good sports town. It's had ebbs and flows. Different teams have had their moment in the sun, and they will continue to do so again if they manage to put together another winning teams. But that's it. That's how this works. And it has to be understood and accepted. That's how that's how it's going to play out. So that's really all I wanted to say for now about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. In the long run, we'll see kind of how this plays out. And I look forward and I hope the be- and I hope for the best for him. And I hope he plays well. And I hope he's a rookie of the year candidate. And then we'll we'll take it from there. If he's if he's even eighty percent of his dad's capability, that's going to be a great player, and it's going to be fun to watch. Exactly. All right. All right, let's move on. I need the intro, Carlos. Let's do it. It won't be long, but I need the intro. All right. So he's got to have his moment. He's got to have a shine in the spotlight here. So it is the pretentious cross-country running report with Dave Turnbull. Now, what I'd like to do is rant on Arsenal for oh so long, uh, who lost yet again today 3-0, and the nobody wants to finish in the top four, uh, top third or fourth spot in the Premier League sweepstakes. However, I'm going a little closer to home. And I want to tell people, I was at the inaugural game of the Canadian Premier League yesterday. So in Hamilton, Ontario, Forge FC, the local team, played York 9 FC and finished in a glorious, re- ready for it, Carlos? 1-1 draw. Well, that's a, that's a high-scoring, high-impact uh, game of pretentious cross-country running. That's that's exciting now, right there. If they'd gone for Car- in Carlos's rules, the game would have been over in three minutes. The York F9 just came up blazing out of the gate it was like Hamilton looked like they didn't even know what the hell they were doing and York 9 uh, with a Toronto FC player who was on loan Ryan Telford scored the first goal in league history and then pretty much after that things settled down and Hamilton dominated possession but wasn't able to score until super sub at least that's what I'm calling him because who knows because it's the first game ever Cadell Thomas came on and scored in the second half for Hamilton and then Hamilton kept pressing, kept pressing. The York 9 goalkeeper made some outstanding saves to preserve the tie. And, you know, it finished 1-1. And the best thought I had, you know, watching this was, because you don't know it's a new league. I'm hoping it's going to do well because its stated purpose is to develop Canadian soccer talent. The soccer didn't suck. Like, it was it as good as MLS? No. Which And we already talked multiple times on this show about the level of MLS. But it was entertaining soccer. And, you know, people ask me after, like, did it live up to your expectations or whatever? And I said, it actually exceeded my expectations because it was enjoyable. The product was decent. There, you know, there did still be a, a left a lot to be desired in terms of uh, finishing, for sure, and some of the passing. But is this something that I would pay, you know, $20 a game to go see? Yeah, I would go back. So on that guard, I say good on the league for having a first good game. Uh, you know, it's a seven-team league, which is kind of weird. You have two teams in Alberta, two teams in Ontario, a team in Manitoba, a team in BC, and a team in Halifax in Nova Scotia. But I like what I see so far, and I hope that continues. Is it actually $20 a game? Uh, well, I don't know, actually. Well, you but, went to the uh, game. So the season this, ticket price, well, the, look, they're actually, you know, they're really trying right now. So the season ticket price is about $17 a game you can get tickets for. And... They're actually giving away every season ticket they sell, not like a count, but actual ticket. They're giving you a home jersey for free, which is apparently a $120 value. At least that's what they're selling for in the team store. 
And yeah, so, you know, I think you can get tickets. Some tickets are upwards of $40, depending on where you're sitting. But, you know, if for something that's at least cheaper than MLS, if you're, you know, it's manageable. And like I said, and they have $5 tall boys before the game. So, and more than one place, unlike, you know, the Rogers Center where it's one stand in the outfield. But anyway. Well, $5 tall boys, you know, that right there is a selling point. But here's the thing. The reason I'm asking this question is, so you went to the game. Do you have season tickets? Did you buy a single ticket? How did you get there? So I actually won four tickets uh, in, in a contest that I don't remember entering. But <laughs> They just randomly reached out to you and said, here, have some tickets. Congratulations. It's like, so the team is co-owned by Bob Young, who is also the owner of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And from everything I've heard and, and a little bit that I've read is that they really wanted to just have a really big crowd. So what they're planning on doing for most games is they're going to close the upper bowl. So they're only going to limit it to about 10,000 capacity. Uh-huh. But for the first game, they just wanted to get as many people in there as they could. So they gave away a ton of tickets. Uh, but they had, you know, over 20,000 people there yesterday, which, you know, for a, a, a new Canadian soccer league, which is Canadian only. Uh, so on your roster, you're only allowed to have seven non-Canadians on the team. I, you know, it was, it was a good atmosphere. It was fun. Obviously, you know, the fandom needs to develop a little bit in terms of like, is this something that the city's really going to support? You know, is this league going to be something that people are actually going to follow and, and really get involved in? But I like what I saw, but so I hope it continues, you know I mean? But as we have talked about on this show, we both liked what we saw from the AAF and we saw what happened with that. So we'll see what happens. But so far, so good for the CPL. Well, in the AAF, we all know that it was really came down to the financing thing. It wasn't so much uh, attendance. It wasn't so much fan support. It was who's going to show up and who's going to pay, really, what it came down to. So you're saying that you'll co-sign this on, on the best 14th tier soccer league you've ever seen. Correct. Solid. That, that right there is a ringing endorsement. And I look forward to reporting on the first game being, you said, I think, about 20,000? Yeah. That's fantastic. They only had to give away 19,550 tickets. That's great. Fantastic. I'm enthused. All right. So, are we good then with pretentious cross country? That has running? been the pretentious cross country running port, Carlos. Excellent, excellent. All right, another league to mock. I'm very excited. Okay, great. So then, uh, let's talk a little bit about the disaster that was round one in the NHL playoffs. Now, if you're a fan of a team that advanced, it wasn't a disaster. But if you had a bracket, it was a disaster. If you um, if you like seeing even one uh, previous Stanley Cup finalist make it to the second round, that was no good for you. If you like conference winners making it to the second round, this is not the year's playoff for you. And I want to give a little breakdown of the eight teams that remain, because there was a lot here. As Dave mentioned earlier, this is the first time that all the division winners lost in the first round. So that was out. Obviously, no Stanley Cup finals from last year. Either the winning team in the Capitals or the runner-up in Vegas Golden Knights. None of them made it out of the first round. A lot of Game 7s uh, that a lot of these up upstart teams ended up winning. A lot of uh, craziness basically broke down. But let me, let me give you a quick recap of the two conferences right now. So you ended up having Columbus win. So I'm going to give you the last Stanley Cup win of all these teams, just so you can get perspective on where we are now with the playoffs here. Columbus has never won a Stanley Cup. They're a relatively new team. That's fine. That makes sense. Boston last won the Stanley Cup in 2011, so they at least won a Stanley Cup in this decade. But after that, it gets progressively worse. Carolina last won a Stanley Cup, their only Stanley Cup victory back in 2006. The Islanders last won the Stanley Cup in 1983, the same year Dave and I were born. So that's the East. 
Now, going over to the West, we've got Dallas, who last won the Stanley Cup in 1999 in the pre-HD era, as I like to refer to it, where that ended in a triple overtime game where if Brett Hall had not scored, and yes, his skate was in the crease, and yes, I don't care, because that game needed to end, otherwise they'd still be playing it to this day. St. Louis has never actually won the Stanley Cup, but fun fact, because of the way that St. Louis came into the league, the first three years of their existence, they went to the Stanley Cup final three straight times, but the last time St. Louis has been in the Stanley Cup final was 1970. So it's been a while. Colorado last won the Stanley Cup in 2001, so they at least won it in this century. And San Jose has never won the Stanley Cup. And those are your eight candidates. One of them, technically, has to win the Stanley Cup. So, theoretically, at Boston is actually the closest one to being recent. And even then, it's, it's, it's getting eight to eight years. It's close to a decade since the last time Boston won the Stanley Cup. And if Boston doesn't, the next closest is, you know, uh, 13 years. And then immediately you get into 2001, you get into 1999 or 1983 or never. Let's, I'm going with never. That's what I'm actually hoping for. I'm hoping, I think I'm actually going to go for St. Louis. That's who I'd like to see, I think, now. But as we said, we're not we're not you know going and rebracketing at all. But I mean, as I had said to you previous conversation, not necessarily on this show, but I think every single team in the second round now has got to think, you know, we have a really legitimate shot to win this. You have to believe at this point. Like, there's too many. the The door is as wide open as it's ever been. And to your point, if you're St. Louis, you haven't been to the Stanley Cup final. The final. Forget about winning. You haven't been to the final in 49 years. Just attending the final would be a big accomplishment for St. Louis. Yeah, huge, huge. And then, uh, you know, but it would be also huge for somebody like New York who hasn't been there since 83. You know, that's like, as you say, that's the year you're born. That's, and then you think, man, that just makes me feel even older than I actually am. But that's the thing. If you're an Islanders fan who, was, who grew up in the 80s, at the end of 1983, there is no way, after winning four straight Stanley Cups, there is no way you had to think in your mind, by the way, it's going, you're not going to win another Stanley Cup for decades. It's going to be decades and decades and decades, and your team is predominantly going to suck during most of that period of time. Especially if you remember, and I'll uh, refresh the memory of those that may not remember, after that Stanley Cup, last Stanley Cup run, obviously the team had to kind of rebuild, and they did, I believe, memory serves me, they drafted Pat LaFontaine, who was supposed to be the next guy to carry them into the next generation. And it just never materialized. So you have to think, like, all that time, and then they obviously drafted Tavares, and that never worked out. And the Islanders fans are only a little still bitter still at Tavares. They're still chirping him. <laughs> and I laugh because the Islanders still haven't won anything. Get, get, to the, get to the next round, and then, you know, see what happens. Right now you've only gotten one round further than the Maple Leafs did. And they had a chance, Game 7, but they ran into the Boston Kryptonite for them. So we'll kind of see how this plays out. But um, one other thing that was kind of brought up that I think would be kind of interesting, we'll move on here from the from the round one recap, but let me throw this one at you. Out of the combinations available, which do you think would get the lowest rating as the Stanley Cup final? Oh, uh, that's actually a really good question. Um, I would think... You've got some options here. I'm, I'm going to go with... San Jose, Carolina. San Jose, Carolina would be a pretty good one uh, from that perspective. You know, I'm thinking, honestly, Columbus and St. Louis. Yeah, that's all good. You know, I, I think the NHL as a league office has got to be going, oh, crap. Like, I think they're probably hoping for, like, uh, Boston, 
And either I'd say Dallas or San Jose, probably. Well, the, the, the thing is, the out of the West, that's tough because Colorado was a dominant team for a period of time, but they're not that team anymore. It's not the Patrick Waugh, you know, Peter Forsberg, and Joe Sackett, Colorado. It's it's young upstarts. They're, they're a fun team to watch. They're pretty solid, but it's not the same. St. Louis has never really been a draw. Um, they don't really have the superstars. They're a good team. They play, they're playing well, obviously. San Jose is kind of doing its last ride, but they're not really an exciting national team. Dallas really isn't an exciting national team either, but at least you would draw that Texas market. And Boston is the only like major market team left. The New York Islanders are the quote-unquote New York Islanders, but they were Long Island slash Brooklyn. It's not really like the Rangers. It's not the same thing. And I don't think people treat it as such. No, they, to- they totally don't. Yeah, they're really the other team in New York, so it's not quite the same thing. And yeah, from the West, it's Dallas is kind of the highest profile team, but only by kind of default. It's not, it's not that strong. You're gonna have a fresh matchup, I'll say. I, I think there's no scenario where you don't end up with a fresh matchup of some kind that you haven't seen before, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it has potential to be interesting just for the hockey, like strictly for the hockey. Yes, but I don't think it's going to turn into like a marquee matchup that people are actually gonna want to turn into, regardless of how well the the games actually are how good the games are how well the players play etc i think they're going to struggle for a rating because you don't have ovechkin you don't have crosby you don't have stamkos you don't have Connor mcdavid like think of the big stars and think of the highest scorers of the team no they're, they're None not of them there. Are here well you got joe thornton let's be real yeah joe thornton isesn't the sa- 39 year old joe thornton isn't the same joe thornton as say 10 years ago it's no, not quite this the same could thing. Be his year man what's that as much as we mocked him at the beginning when we were making our picks this could be his year well, the thing is, this is as good an opportunity as he's ever going to get. Like, I think this is it. This is about as wide open as you're going to have a chance. There's no reason you can't get to the cup final in this Western Conference the way it's configured right now with what's left. Correct. And the same thing for all the teams in the East. You all have to feel like you've got a shot. There's no reason. I can make an argument for all four teams in both conferences getting to the cup final. And you can disagree, but you can't say there's no chance. All of these teams got a chance. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I, I honestly feel like based on the teams left, I feel like Boston in the East anyway, has got to feel like they should be the team in the Stanley cup final, but there's no guarantee of that actually happening. I agree. And I have no faith in that actually happening either. And, and frankly, I I'm tired. Frankly, I know it's been like months since a Boston team won something. So it's, you know, they're in a really long drought in Boston and I feel so bad for them. Yeah, screw you, Boston, and screw all of your sports teams. You're like, enough already. Like, I'm sick of these guys. Toronto should have taken care of business for no other reason than just so that we didn't have to deal with more Boston. Enough Boston. Yes, Yes. and therefore I'm cheering for Columbus for the exact same reason. Correct. So anyway, we'll talk more about the playoffs as we get into. Round two has obviously started. Right now it's still early. A lot of the series are tied at one all. We'll talk about it more a little bit more next week. We'll figure out how the scheduling is going to work out, but... We'll get back to that for now. So Can I just one th- one thing out there for the listening audience, though. So for for those of you who listened, I only got one NBA pick wrong. Right, everything else I picked, both series in the East, those teams I picked so far are so good. The West, uh, I picked San, uh, San Antonio to beat Denver. That didn't happen, but they did go to Game Seven and they only lost by four points. So I feel you know if you want to listen to advice on this show. May, even though we always admit we don't watch very much basketball, apparently we know more about basketball than we do about hockey. 
in fairness, and I did mention this before we hit record, the NBA is a little bit less unpredictable than the NHL. In the NHL, every every scenario is in play. All 16 teams technically can get to the Stanley Cup final and maybe win. In the NBA, you do have 16 teams, but there's a bunch of them who legitimately have no shot. You can pretty much write them off, and if they're playing one of the top teams, the, the likelihood of an upset happening, four wins in a seven-game series in the NBA, good luck. It's basically what happened with the L.A. Clippers against the uh, Golden State Warriors. The L.A. Clippers made a great accounting for themselves. They got to game six. They fought them hard as hard as they could. And then in game six, Kevin Durant got annoyed, decided to just put the hammer down and scored 50. All right, we're yeah. done with you guys. I, I, I'm through pl- toying with you any further. And in the NBA, you can do that. Your superstar can just get irritated and just go off and just move on. So it's possible. But in the NHL, you can't do that. And uh, I did read an article that basically made the point. The reason why we can say about the NHL that it doesn't quite work that way is take your best player in the NHL, say a Sidney Crosby or an Ovechkin or whatever, when they're at their peak of their powers. They're out there for maybe 20 minutes out of a 60-minute game. A defenseman's out there for maybe 30 minutes. So for at least half the game, your most impactful players are on the bench. In the NBA, in a 48-minute game, you can have your star out there for 45 minutes, 47 minutes, or all 48 minutes if that's what they want to do. Yeah, and it does it does happen. Yeah, and that can that means they're there. They can have the ball constantly in their hands and make an impact all the time. So I, that's why I think in the NBA, you, you, you do still see upsets. It still happens. But I think it's less common because your stars can take over and they can just play the whole game. They can just keep leaving them out there to have the big impact if they're capable of doing that, they can completely take over the game and and turn the tide in their direction, even if the other team is doing their best. No, exactly. So that's fair. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. I'm, I'm going to watch a little bit more of the NBA playoffs as well, but there isn't really a lot to say at the moment. A lot of it is going as planned, quote-unquote. All right, let's talk about a little bit NFL draft. Obviously, the draft happened this week. A lot of it went as expected. You know, Kyler Murray went first overall. A lot of other things happened. But there was also some glorious, glorious nonsense. And it is nonsense by the definition. So let me talk about a couple of things that stood out to me. First, I'm going to pander to myself. And then I'll actually talk about some of the more pertinent picks. Let's talk about uh, Green Bay Packer picks for a second. All right, so in the first round, you had two of them. You had Rashawn Gary out of Michigan at number 12. Now, here's the thing. When they called out this name, it rung a bell to me, and I was trying to think, like, why do I know this? I don't watch a ton of college football. I watch a little bit, but I'm thinking, like, well, you know, he's out of Michigan. What's coming to me? And then it occurred to me what it was. Amazon has these excellent, like, miniseries things in the, in the realm of hard knocks. They call them all or nothing, where they follow a football team or a soccer team or even a rugby team for a full season. They do one of those things. So in the NFL, they did one for the Arizona Cardinals. They did one for the L.A. Rams when they went to L.A. right before that uh, in their last season and before they Sean McVay took over because he was right at the end of the documentary. And then they did one for the Dallas Cowboys. But they also did one for college football. And the one college football they did was the Michigan Wolverines under Harbaugh. And Rashawn Gary was one of the players who was featured in that mini documentary. So at least I have a little background on the guy. Now, the thing is, from a football standpoint, I hadn't seen a lot of his play. I watched some highlights. I didn't know too much about him. What I got the impression of, and the beauty of this type of documentary, is you can get a sense, at least as far as what you're, you're showing in front of the camera, personality-wise. From everything I see, he seems to be a good kid. He seems to, you know, uh, he seems to have talent. And, this is, and the, the problem that I have as a Packer fan is that Whenever you you do a draft pick, all the analysts then try to give you kind of the pluses and minuses. 
as a number 12 pick, my problem is that almost everybody is in agreement. He has a lot of talent, but he hasn't exactly been able to fully exploit that talent and actually translate it. So he's a defensive guy who doesn't really have the outstanding numbers that you expect. And that was your number one, number 12 overall draft pick. And that kind of is concerning to me. So I guess really the Packers are hoping that they can, um, they can coach him up and get him up to meet his potential. If he does, great. But if not, that's kind of disappointing. So second one was uh, at number 21, they drafted Darnell Savage out of Maryland. So go Terps. There you go. To Oaks, a good one for you. They traded uh, with Seattle to move up from, because I think they had the 31st pick, uh, which came from, I think it was from uh, the Saints, I believe. They had that pick, and then they moved up to go to 21 to get Darnell Savage. I really don't understand why. They obviously are very high on him. It's interesting, but at the same time, it's like, I'm glad they're working on bolstering the defense, but at the same time, I don't know what that's going to do for Aaron Rodgers. And it hasn't exactly been an amazing offseason if you're in Rodgers because all their free agent acquisitions were also on the defensive side of the football. So I'm not sure what that's going to do for Rodgers going forward this season, how that's going to help him in any way. So that's why I'm a little bit curious and at the same time a bit concerned about that. But as a team who's had a sort of perennially underperforming defense... Does that not give you hope that, hey, at least they're going to be better on the other side of the ball? I agree with that, and conceptually, that's good. The problem is that you let the offensive side of the ball completely erode. You wanted to do that while the offense was good. Now the offense is maybe okay-ish because Randall Cobb is gone. Jordy Nelson now is gone for a couple seasons. Those guys are, you know, he's retired. There isn't really the offensive weapons that there were before. You don't really have an amazing running game. You don't really have, you've got a bunch of rookie wide receivers, but you don't have anybody who's your star standout outside of um, uh, Devontae Adams, who's a great player. But that's it. It's Devontae Adams and, you know, some tight ends, and they're, they're going to have to figure something out there. And obviously Rodgers has been hurt the last couple of years, so that offense has every opportunity to regress further while they're finally working on the defensive side of the ball, but they worked on the defensive side of the ball. It's about five years late on fixing the defensive side of the ball. I'm glad they're doing it rather than not doing it, but you, you can't let the offense erode and then just try to build up the defense and leave the offense there. No, fair enough. So that, that kind of concerns me. So I'll move on from the Packers because only a handful of people will care. But let's talk about some of the other ones. So at number one, you got Kyler Murray, not surprising, out of Oklahoma. The reality is this. Is he big enough to be an NFL quarterback and a quality NFL quarterback? But I've got a bigger problem with this. I don't have a problem with the pick. I think the pick was fine. I get it. I understand what Arizona's doing. But if you're a fan of Kyler Murray, here's what should worry you. Whether he's talented or not at that level or not, whether uh, the size is going to be a factor in the NFL or not, just be aware that the, you're going to the Arizona Cardinals. This is the same franchise that picked you first overall as a quarterback a year after they traded up to get Josh Rosen. And then they didn't let him play a full season and gave up on him because the team sucks and he looked terrible, but also the team sucks. The team that you built and the team that you sent him out there to play for. And you didn't trade away Josh Rosen until after you had drafted another quarterback as a number one overall draft pick, thereby devaluing your last year's top 10 draft pick and ensuring that you can't even get a first rounder for him. So you traded him away to Miami for basically pennies on the dollar. And Kyler Murray is basically put into the same situation where now he's the first overall pick, he's got all the high expectations, and that team is not fundamentally better than they were last year. 
and you did this because then because he's uh, more in line with what your new head coach Cliff Kingsbury wants to do, which is fine. Except Cliff Kingsbury was an average college coach, so you're b- banking everything on a potentially talented quarterback who is wanted by your head coach who wants to play a certain system, but he was an average college coach. I have all the confidence in the world this will work out tremendously for Arizona. Yeah. You know, it's 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 weird. I mean, not, I guess not weird is the right word. I don't know what the right word is, but to see a team that's given up on Josh Rosen so quickly, the fact that they've traded him, and, you know, we'll see what Kyler Murray is. Like, we don't know what he is or what he's going to be, really. I mean, you know what he was like in college, but... You know, anyone who watches the NFL knows that doesn't always translate. And, you know, new coach, new system. But as you said, the, the key point is, I don't know if it really matters who you have a quarterback if you're if you're Arizona right now. The team just isn't that good. And I don't expect to see it grow by leaps and bounds anytime soon. Well, that's basically the big issue is that even if Kyler Murray is exceptionally talented, which he very well may be, and it might translate to the NFL game, what happens if he spends the first season running for his life because his line can't hold up? What happens if he spends the first season throwing, other than Larry Fitzgerald, if he throws to a bunch of receivers who aren't on that level? All of a sudden, he spends most of his time trying to run away from all these things. All the problems that Josh Rosen inherited, he's inheriting. The situation hasn't improved around him. The idea is like, oh, well, we'll get a better quarterback. Well, I don't know if Josh Rosen is good or not because he was put in a situation to fail. And then when he failed, everybody's like, oh, well, he sucks. Okay, get rid of him. Well, fine. What happens if Kyler Murray sucks out of the first year because the situation's still no good? Are you going to blame the quarterback or are you going to blame your own situation that you put him into? It's- exactly. I, yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not an ideal situation to be going into at all. Yeah, and you're giving him a head coach who, again, was mediocre in college, and you're hoping that that combination is a winning combination. A bad team a mediocre coach, and a good and a good to great quarterback. That's what you're hoping on. Okay, well, great. Let me know how it turns out. And if you draft in the top five next year, you had this coming. You deserve this. Fair enough. All righty. So, the Kyler Murray thing was fun, but as far as dysfunction is concerned, the high watermark, my favorite thing. And Dave, did you ever see, uh, have you ever seen the meme with, the, with that white guy who's like blinking and like looks confused? Oh, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. I it's was that, that guy. Hair, his hair is all messed up, right? I think so. But yeah, that, yeah. I was that guy. As soon as the New York Giants, who need a quarterback, and I'm going to go off on a rant for a minute here, Dave. I'm going to need you to indulge me. But then at the end, I'll, I'll, I'll open it up so that you can uh, contribute to this piece of the conversation. But let me right. outline the scenario first. I will. Go ahead. All right. So you're the New York Giants. And let me make this abundantly clear. I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Aside from the Seattle Seahawks, the New York Giants have been responsible for two of my uh, most irritating NFC Championship moments. I don't actually like the Giants. But even then, one thing that I like dislike more than the New York Giants is gross incompetence. Well, good news. We have the New York Giants. What do the New York Giants do? With the sixth overall draft pick, knowing full well that Eli Manning is not the long-term solution. Everybody knows this. Stevie Wonder can tell you this, and he doesn't need to see it. You know you have to do something. Everybody assumes Dwayne Haskins. Whether Dwayne Haskins becomes a great quarterback or not is not the point. The point is you need to do something. So the New York Giants realize this with the number six overall pick, and they go with the obvious choice. 
Daniel Jones, quarterback out of Duke. Okay. First of all, Duke is not a football school. It is a basketball school. Quarterback out of Duke worries me right from the start. Secondly, he was an average to above average quarterback at Duke. You should be, if you're not in a, you know, if you're not in a power and you're not in a huge conference, you, you need to be able to dominate. Well, in his entire college career, he threw for 52 touchdowns. Dwayne Haskins threw for 50 touchdowns in one season at Ohio State. Now, you can say, better team, yes, better talent around him, sure. But you're drafting this guy number six overall. That means only five players came before and hundreds of players are coming after, and you decided to use your pick on this. Who the hell was going to draft him before you? You have another pick at 17. If you genuinely wanted Daniel Jones, I don't know why you'd want him, but let's, let's say you're, you're really enamored. Fine, you want Daniel Jones. You could trade back your pick, go to like number 12 or number 13 or number 14, get something extra, and then still draft Daniel Jones. And then pick up somebody else with the other draft pick. There's lots of options. The problem isn't with me for me isn't just that you pick this guy. The problem is that you pick him at number six. You basically set him up to fail. As a top 10 pick, people are going to expect a certain amount of performance. And then you follow it up with wonderful, wonderful reaction to it. You basically justify that, oh, well, maybe we'll do the Green Bay model where he'll be under uh, Eli for a couple of years. Well, if you're a New York Giants fan, if you're Saquon Barkley, you're like, wait, years? More years of Eli Manning? Years? Plural? Now, here's my favorite part. When they were explaining the method that they determined that Daniel Jones was going to be their guy, the general manager admitted that he basically fell in love with the guy watching a couple of series, three series, in the Senior Bowl. You watched one game, effectively one game, three series from one game, and you made your determination on a number six overall draft pick based on that. But then you pile on additional justification. Oh, well, you know, we consulted, you know, we talked with, uh, you know, he has a great relationship with Eli and the Manning family because I think he went to the football camps or whatever. So wait, and this was a great conversation I had with my dad, with, my, with Carlos Sr. We had this conversation, and I wanted to explain to him in context so he could understand why I found this so hilarious and perplexing at the same time. A lot of people know, and it's an unfortunate thing that happens in the real working world, where somebody puts you in a situation where they hire someone, and you are put in a position where you are forced to train your replacement. No one likes that. It sucks. It's the worst thing. It's the worst thing. But here's the fun part. What if we flip the tables on this? What if we said, hey, we're going to hire somebody to replace you, and we're going to make it clear that that's what we're doing. But why don't you pick your replacement? Because they consulted with Eli Manning before making this pick, and Eli thought this was a good idea. So, hey, why don't you pick the replacement, and then you'll train them, and then we'll only replace them when they're ready to replace you. Why wouldn't I pick someone who sucks? Well, if you're Eli Manning, you, you basically just bought yourself job security for years. Daniel Jones. Number six pick out of Duke. There's a hundred ways you could have done this that would have made more sense. And this is what you decided to do. But before I leave, before I get off my soapbox, there is one more thing I need to share. And, and this is wonderful and I need to give the proper credit. So I pulled it up here to make sure I get it. So this is from Nicole Auerbach, who's a senior writer on The Athletic. She had a tweet that was perfect. And this was on draft night, which was glorious. And I, I feel it needs to be shared. And I'll put a link in the description for you. This is real and phenomenal quote from Duke coach David Cutliffe tonight. So this is talking about Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones embraces something we believe in here. Real swag is no swag. So basically you're saying the kid's boring in addition to being mediocre. So you get the benefit of not being interesting and being mediocre at football. But then you draft him number six. 
the New York football giants, everyone. Thank you. And good night. Yeah. I think this is where, you know, if you're a giants fan, you're like, Hey, you know what? Maybe for a year, we'll just, we'll just trade our stock in and, and support the jets. Cause wow. What a clusterfuck that that's, that's my reaction to, to everything that they've done here. It just, it doesn't make any sense. The problem is that in all seriousness, like I said, I have no love for the New York Giants. I just loathe idiocy. And the problem with this is, what do you think if you're Saquon Barkley? Eli is basically a cadaver at this point. Like he's, you know, there's nothing left. The man is already made, by the time this last season is over, he will have made over $140 million on his last contract. The man has made plenty of money. If you're the New York Giants, if I was the New York Giants, I would be like, Eli, you need to go. They, I would have drafted whatever quarterback you thought, or I would have traded for Josh Rosen. There's 100 options that were all available to you. I would have used the number six draft pick on bolstering another element of my team, traded for Josh Rosen, taking my chances, and if I didn't like what I got, here's the thing about the Josh Rosen trade, and I'll talk about it more in a second. If you do the Josh Rosen trade, I want you to think about what the Miami Dolphins got. You can say, oh, well, Josh Rosen maybe isn't that good, and the Miami Dolphins aren't that good. Fine. But if you're the Miami Dolphins, here's your situation. You got Josh Rosen for a second-round draft pick and I think like a fourth or fifth rounder. I'll get the particulars in a minute. You got him for basically nothing. Do you know what happens if the Josh Rosen experiment in Miami doesn't work? Arizona already paid him the majority of the rookie contract. The, the bulk of it, the signing bonus and all that, has already been paid. You're paying a couple of million dollars at most for the next couple of years. If it works, you win. If it doesn't work, you dump, you, you basically cut the guy, you cut your losses, you've lost almost nothing in terms of draft capital, and you can move on to next season, and if you suck, you can go for Tua. You, you've got other options. So the Josh Rosen thing for Miami is a slam dunk because you paid almost nothing, therefore you lose nothing, and you got to keep all your good draft picks. That could have been the New York Giants. You could have basically gotten him for a second rounder of some kind and still had the number six overall draft pick to be able to get a bunch of great defensive players, a great offensive player. There's a bunch of areas you could have bolstered that could have helped you and potentially helped said quarterback. And literally, Josh Rosen was available for a second rounder. Josh Rosen's potential possibilities are better than Daniel Jones. Like, the options were out there. You had this, and you could have still used the number six pick or... You could have done a Patriots move and basically thrown the pick backwards and move back in the draft, pick up a couple of other players, and gotten more draft picks for future years and rebuild your whole cupboard. There were so many options available. None of it makes any sense. And the problem is that you run into, like I said, Miami has a very low-risk, high-reward thing. If Rosen ends up being a great player, they got him for nothing. And Arizona looks even dumber. If you're the New York Giants, you got nothing, and if you, this doesn't work, you know, that's your job right there because you just put everything behind that. And that was the ringing endorsement he got from his head coach. Believes, embraces something we believe in here. Real swag is no swag. That is not a ringing endorsement. That isn't saying, and the best that the, uh, I think it's Gettleman, the best that the New York Giants general manager could do is, we think he's going to be a pro quarterback. Well, with the number six overall draft pick, I hope he's a pro quarterback. That's like the minimum bar. Congratulations to Eli Manning on additional money. If I was the general man, if I was the owner of the New York Giants, like I said, I would build Eli Manning a statue and give him a statue ceremony right now and be like, take the hint, bro. Usually you don't build one of these until someone's retired or dead. Take your pick. You're still alive. Enjoy the statue. Now get out of here. Yeah, like it's just 
You know what? Giant, the fans aren't going to be happy with any of this. And they already weren't happy. Saquon Barkley has got to be the one who's angriest. Yeah. He's, he's still Saquon's a young like, guy. What but is he's going a... on here? Saquon uh, you know, Barkley, unless though. They're, unless they're playing. Unless, unless, Carlos, maybe this is the genius here, okay? Give me a second. Maybe Daniel Jones is actually so good at handing off the ball, like better than anyone in the history of the NFL. Their plan is on offense. Every player, they're just going to run it to Saquon. Really? Maybe, maybe that's what they're going with. Because in that case, maybe that makes sense. Sure. Maybe. Yeah, sounds good. The problem, the problem at the end of the day isn't even whether the quarterback is. Here's the thing: there's a very real possibility Daniel Jones could be a serviceable NFL quarterback. If that's the case, you still could have gotten them with a later draft pick. My point isn't that. My point isn't that Daniel Jones himself is necessarily the issue here. The issue is that you took him at number six. If you take him in the second round, I got no issue with that. You want to give it a shot? Go ahead. But if you take him as a number six overall draft pick, there are so many other good players available that you could have taken, and you could have still gotten the guy later. That's the problem, I think. The overarching main number one issue is that there were other options available with the pick that you had in the relatively high spot you had it at. With a top ten pick, I don't need a project. I don't need someone who might be good in a couple of years. And this is a general draft philosophy. With a top ten pick, I want an NFL starter who can get on my team and start. And if I am the New York Giants, I'm looking at Saquon Barkley saying, he's still a young guy, he's still got potentially good years ahead of him, but the running back position has such a short shelf life that even if it's two or three years down the road when Daniel Jones finally gets out of there, assuming he's a solid, serviceable NFL quarterback, you just blew two to three years of Saquon's window because his window has already started. The clock is currently ticking. You need to give him somebody. You don't want to have Daniel Jones be serviceable by the time Saquon is starting to get injur- injuries and it's starting to pile up all the touches. That's not when you want it. You want it when he's good. You need somebody for him now. Yeah, exactly. The Giants built their team backwards. You get the running back after you've got the quarterback. You get the quarterback and then you get the running back. In this case, you've got the running back and the clock is already ticking. It's been- But hey, Carlos, remember, real swag is no swag. So, Apparently. So, you know, good luck to Daniel Jones, good luck to New York Giants, good luck to their fans, and good luck to Saquon Barkley. That's probably who uh, who's going to need the most help here. So now you can see why I was why I said to you, this draft perplexed me. Yeah, was, I think it perplexed a lot of people. I don't think you're the only one. Yeah, that pick in particular, that's why I can get very passionate about it. I genuinely don't understand what they're thinking. I don't think they're thinking, and I think that's a problem. And it's kind of sad. But we'll move on. So as far as that's concerned, as far as the draft's concerned, those are the big ones that stood out to me. The only other one was Dwayne Haskins at 15. I think it's a decent pick for Washington. Whether he turns out or not, at least he'll be motivated. That's good. The owner, Dan Snyder, is really into him, which is helpful. But it's really going to be down to whether the the Washington staff is able to take advantage of the skills he does have and develop them. He's going to be a bit of a project, but at the end of the day, they've got some good quarterbacks in that room. So the potential is there that he could be groomed and could actually be in a p- good position. One thing I like for Washington as well is that they're going to get back Darius Geis, who was their big draft pick from a year ago. We don't know how good he's going to be because he got hurt, I believe, during the preseason. But if he's any good, he doesn't have to be like a Saquon kind of player. But if he's a good running back, that only adds to the situation. You've got at least a couple of weapons. Then it's going to be like, can you get some wide receivers? Can you get a tight end? Can you get something that can help Dwayne Haskins do his job? But I think Washington is a much better situation right now than what New York is going to have going into uh, its current situation. Yep. 
So, you know, good luck to them. But I think I think they've at least got a shot if they allow the quarterback to develop. I, I, I like the potential. All right, that is your 2019 NFL draft round one. We're not going to talk about the additional round, the, the subsequent rounds, because the truth is you really need to be deep into your college football, I think, in order to really make anything out of it. And we're not going to know with a lot of these players for a couple of years. Because I'm sure there's some diamond in the rough out there, and there's some potential possibilities. I think some teams probably got a couple of good picks down further down. Well, for sure. We'll but I mean, soon. you have to look at the, the likelihood that the further down you go, and when you're getting especially like round six, round seven, most of those guys get cut anyway. Or at best, they're on the practice roster. So, oh, no, for know, sure. but unless, I think this, say, I think... unless you're super into college football, not going to matter to you. Yeah, I think this year, though, from what I understand, there's a pretty deep class of players that are, are in the second and third round who will probably end up on NFL rosters in the in the next year or two. And we'll get a chance to see how well some teams' scouting departments did within the next year or two. All right, so I think that's it for that. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, I think it's time to tell tell the people what we're looking forward to this week, Carlos. I'm looking forward to more explosions in the NHL playoffs trying to figure out what's left out of these eight teams. That's uh, that's my number one, I would say. Obviously, we've got some uh, NBA playoffs as well, and I think there are some good matchups. I want to see a little bit more, but my main focus is going to be the NHL playoffs with a little bit of a, li- a sprinkle of NBA. Yeah, and I would agree. I am going to be focused on that as well. The other thing that I am going to be somewhat focused on, obviously, again, this is all pending on what I'm able to actually watch, the Champions League is picking up again. So you have the semifinals of the Champions League. So you have Tottenham versus Ajax and Barcelona versus Liverpool that start this week. And you also have the semifinals of the UEFA Europa League. So Arsenal versus Valencia and Eintracht Frankfurt versus Chelsea. So I'm looking forward to pretty much all of that uh, and think that, you know, there's actually potential for some really good games there. In addition to the NBA playoffs with and the NHL playoffs, although I'll be focusing more now on the NBA playoffs since I still have a rooting interest there in the Raptors and that they did win game one against Philadelphia in the second round uh, and looked pretty good doing so. Kawhi was uh, just on fire that game. This one is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode just because uh, we wanted to focus on a couple of the main topics. Next week's scheduling will be interesting because uh, I'm going to be kind of quote basically on the road uh, going to sports memorabilia expo we'll see you know we'll see if dave is running around following rick flair you know he's going to be at that that could very well be the case you know he might come back he might get chopped a couple of times and just say woo a bunch so that hey maybe if maybe we can get a guest appearance by benny t if he comes to the card show yeah we'll see uh, we'll see if we manage to pull that one off he might be busy following rick flair as well so you never know but for now we'll talk about some shameless plugs here so we've got obviously the unnecessary nonsense podcast if you're watching the static image on youtube thank you for watching we'd appreciate it if you'd hit the like button and subscribe to the channel i will be doing some more uh, pod extras here and there where the opportunity presents itself i'm going to try to focus in on doing a couple more of those just to uh, expand some thoughts on some of these things that we can't cover fully on the podcast in addition to that, we've got the Instagram, which is at Unnecessary Podcast, Twitter at Unnecessary underscore pod, and our site is unnecessarypod.podbean.com, where you can download and listen to all the podcasts thus far. Other than that, you can catch us on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. So that'll be it for us this week. Until next time, we will see you on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.